Tlalo Falaba, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up, spy firms exploit Pacific-based mobile operators to track people on the other side of the globe. Also, pastoral support and care for them in country and for their families back home. Church leaders from around the region want to play a role in caring for Pacific seasonal workers. And later, it's about family and it's about love for our community. That's at the core of it. A new documentary shows the softer side of Pacifica rugby players. An Australian-owned mobile phone operator in the Pacific is likely to have been used by private spies to track people on the other side of the world and steal their data. Digicel Pacific's network resources have been exploited to target unsuspecting mobile phone users in Africa, and a type of attack that's been used in the past by spy-for-hire operations and state actors. Alicia Foon spoke with Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project Pacific Editor Dan McGarry, who was part of the investigation. Well, we came across this data um, based on uh, another research report. It didn't name Digicel Pacific, but I noticed a line entry that said, you know, a South Pacific telco. When we looked into it, we found out that uh, resources belonging to Digicel Pacific had been used for quite some time um, to conduct thousands, tens of thousands, in fact, of um, uh, queries that uh, one researcher called blatant and clearly malicious so obviously this is a matter of real concern. Um, it appears that uh, what's happened is that Digicel allowed certain of its uh, network resources to be leased out to third parties, and these resources were used by espe- effectively es- espionage for hire companies, you know, spies for hire, um, to conduct surveillance operations against uh, various individuals. Um, we approached... Uh, Telstra, which acquired Digicel a little over a year ago, um, with the issue, they were aware of it. They had taken some action already, and they took additional action based on the data that they saw. Um, However, we are still seeing continuing activity dating up until mid-August. That's the latest data that we have. So it's a matter of ongoing concern. Now, this kind of leasing to third parties, is how, how common is that? It's, well, Telstra, for example, doesn't lease these um, these things. They're called global titles, basically. It's kind of a, a way that you identify yourself on the network. It's like a phone number, but um, used only by telecoms. Uh, they don't lease theirs out at all, and for very good reason. Digicel Pacific not only leases them out, but they allow them to be used um, using other Network. So basically, somebody can come along and they can uh, obtain one of these global titles from Digicel Pacific. They can take it to a different part of the world, log on to the network from there, and use it to conduct surveillance. They can find a person's phone location. They can even access the phone's GPS, for example. They can intercept text messages and voice uh, calls, things like that. So it's quite concerning. The problem is that when they're working on these third-party networks, when they're working outside of Digicel Pacific itself, the, the telco has no way of knowing how these global titles are being used. And as it turns out, we've seen uh, the data shows us that we've seen about 20,000 uh, malicious or questionable queries over the last um, 12 to 14 month period. 
So uh, there's a lot of activity. It is slowly being reduced. Uh, Telstra is taking efforts to try and curtail it, but the activity hasn't stopped as, as far as the latest data shows us. This sounds like a little bit of a loophole, which makes the Pacific an easy target. Well, it's kind of a door that Digicel opened for itself. As I say, a, a lot of telcos just don't lease out these global titles. Um, the decision to lease them out and furthermore to allow them to be used outside of their own network um, is, I think, in retrospect, you know, probably something that they'd like to take back. And in fact, they are making efforts now to take that back. Has the Australian government had anything to say about this? They referred our questions to uh, Telstra, um, and uh, basically they they said um, in a sentence or so that the company brings strong capabilities into the Digicel Pacific business, and it has the necessary experience and expertise to enhance the security and reliability of Digicel Pacific's networks. I'm just quoting from the uh, from the statement that was sent to us from uh, Australia's uh, Department of Foreign Affairs. So clearly they still have confidence in Telstra. Um, They believe their investment uh, to the tune of about 1.3 billion U.S. dollars um, is validated. Um, Our experts are saying that uh, there are ongoing concerns, however. And that Australian funding came amid fears that China's government could use the network. Is that right? That's right. And that's actually one of the concerns that we have with this kind of activity, because China has used exactly these resources elsewhere in the world using a different teleco telco to spy on American citizens. So we know that they have the capability. And as one of our experts says, you know, if it's easy for some people to lease these global titles, it's just as easy for China as it would be for any other adversary. So we don't know who um, is conducting this current spate of attacks, but we can't say it's not any particular state or actor. The Pacific Conference of Churches in Fiji says it's keen to provide pastoral care to the families and workers of the New Zealand and Australia seasonal work schemes. Its General Secretary, Reverend James Bagwan, told Rachel Naff that the challenges the workers and their families face were raised during a recent Regional Church Council consultation in Fiji. We were looking at um, what are the challenges faced by our workers in terms of treatment of workers, you know, the conditions in which they work under, but also um, the challenges, the pastoral challenges that they experience when they're away from home and also not forgetting that we need to also pay attention to the families that they leave behind when they go to do migrant labor. And so we looked at uh, a number of issues um, around coordination, the role of the church in working with labor sending units. These are the government departments that facilitate these processes. What sort of preparation can be done in their pre-departure or even before they are selected, how do we create better awareness of the expectations of the situation that they will experience when they go and work abroad? What sort of pastoral support is required uh, before they leave um, on arrival? Work uh, pastoral support and care for them in country and for their families back home. 
um, and um, you know the issues that uh, we need to keep in mind as they're also preparing to to come back. How do they come back, re-engage with their communities and their families? Did you narrow down on what kind of support will be needed from the church? Uh, I don't think narrow is the right word to use. We looked at um, the key areas that we, we need to engage in, recognizing there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of partners that uh, are involved from uh, governments, both uh, receiving and sending governments, what type of policies and frameworks, frameworks they have, recognizing that we need to have good relationships and understanding with the communities from where, these, uh, where our workers come from communities that they go to uh, and how they engage. The role of the employers, which is very important in understanding the cultural aspects, uh, values, etc. of our people, um, and how um, the churches in our Pacific Island countries and uh, the churches in uh, the receiving countries, so Australia and of course New Zealand as well, coordinate better in uh, caring for workers. So there's a lot of support, a lot of engagement from both sides on this issue. We're very grateful that um, the Australian government is willing to listen and engage with us on this process. We also had representatives from the New Zealand High Commission and Pacific Island uh, missions that are based in Suva in attendance. Uh, Presentations also included representatives from um, the ILO, uh, the International Labour Organization in the Pacific, the International Organization on Migration, and the Pacific Islands Forum. So it was a really good round table to thresh out some issues, develop some sort of frameworks and some uh, next steps on what we can do and how we can continue to uh, to build on this work. This is the first time that we're having uh, this sort of consultation. So um, although the schemes have been going on for some time, this is the first time that churches are seriously engaging um, and recognizing their role. And governments are also recognizing the roles of uh, the role of the church in this um, in this space. The Papua New Guinea Prime Minister James Marape led an entourage to Lai in Morobwe Province on Thursday for a development forum over the planned Wafi Gopu gold mining venture, just 65 kilometers from the city. The forum followed a similar event in Porgera, which was marred by tribal fighting. Negotiations with landowners are still continuing for the Wafi Gopu venture. The Pogira mine, which has been shut down for three years, is set to resume operation in the next few months, if the lawlessness in Inga province can be brought under control. RNZ Pacific's PNG correspondent Scott Waire spoke with Mr Marape about both mining operations. Just give us from, from the Prime Minister's perspective, what are your expectations for the two mines, Pogra and well, for, for the first time now, we have uh, we've, before these two uh, uh, mines that we've negotiated, all benefit has always been under 50 percent. This for now, the benefits about 50 percent. So there's always a cost to every mine project that ha- happens, but uh, uh, because of the cost to environment, cost to uh, people, cost to the community, we we, we negotiate to secure more within this space or framework of the present laws we have. And the investors have hit us. We also give respect to the uh, internal rate of return. Uh, so the rate of return on investments were not, was not offended. They will make profit, but the residual benefit, uh, not just equity and uh, royalty, but a little bit of more tax. You heard about the 2% fiscal stability tax. The overall scheme of things, local content conversations, 
the conversation of infrastructure development, the additional benefits being passed to the landowners and the project area provinces in terms of infrastructure development. Uh, all in all, government contribution, company contribution in the name of the projects are better, and far, far better than the previous program or the previous mine projects in the country. So, a uh, good outcome today, this development forum process is uh, just the new process that must be retired. Uh, landowners must give consent, basically, that the mine must go ahead. They must understand what benefit is there for them. They're happy because these projects are long-term projects anyway. So landowner consent is very important. And not just landowner, but identifying proper landowners, those who are entitled to be defined as SML or those who are entitled to be defined as LMP and additional project area interested groups. Those conversations take place in a diploma forum process. I think it is, uh, in my view, one of better resource harvest arrangements anywhere on planet Earth. Many countries on earth don't respect, give respect to landowners, or indigenous people. Uh, Papua New Guinea is a tribal-based uh, country. Our people hold rights to the land. And this process gives them access to the project agreement and allow them to also negotiate amongst themselves on how they split what is good for them. We've got issues in Pogra, uh, legacy issues in Pogra that uh, are still in existence uh, and that came about at, at the forum in, in Wabek. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on it? How, how, how is the government dealing with it? I see it this way. If the Pogra resource was depleted, the investors are no more around, then there will be no address on the legacy issues. So it is now lucky for the country, lucky for the landowners, there's still sufficient reserve in the SML project area, project area footprint or the SML area. So we've renegotiated a better outcome. And considering what was not done before, this negotiation addresses these issues like resettlement, better compensation to them, uh, better benefit to them. So taking into consideration the deficiencies of the first SML and the mine, mine, mine life period, the second lease of life we improved on uh, securing better so that issues like resettlement that is outstanding is addressed. You know, government has set aside uh, 700 million kina for infrastructure development grant. Uh, that hopefully they themselves discussed that let's address the resettlement issue and some of the legacy issues. So we're picking up from what was not addressed before in the first life of POGRA, the new benefits we've secured addresses those legacy issues and we will rec- reconcile them and do better going forward. There's a lot of international media attention on the negativities happening in Enga. From your perspective as Prime Minister, how are we addressing it? As I was saying, we're structuring short-term approach, a special police operation to uh, to step in and deal with the issues head-on where, they, where they're happening. Uh, the last I heard of the uh, three or four tribal fights that has been happening in the province have sort of... Uh, subsided, but uh, police have been asked to deal with this issue on a short-term basis, but in the long run, we're restructuring police up there, and the shared security arrangement with defense, we're looking at the arrangement. I am of the view that we will be recalling defense sometimes into the future, but we empower policemen, and uh, there's a special elite police force being built up to have a handle on those who directly cause problems in in, uh, in in country. There's a law we are proposing in the long run, that those who start trouble fight, we're looking at giving them life imprisonment life imprisonment. So police will be beefed up in Enga province. We look at the police leadership, additional operation police to be up there. We purely want to take control of Enga through a police approach and not a combined security force approach. Knowing that Pogra uh, is in Enga province, that is one reason also, but better still, our people deserve uh, security. The road that leads into Pogra and into Wabek uh, uh, has seen people moving up and down with uh, guns and the new police team that we're setting up. I'm not at a stage to disclose exactly what structure of police the police commission is setting up, but uh, a special unit is being pulled together, not just Wainga, but anywhere in the country 
we're setting up a special police unit, highly little, will have a, a specific code of operation that is beyond the current police to deal with uh, what we label as uh, domestic terrorism occurrences in our country. This tribal uh, fight and these killings are domestic terrorism. Uh, we are labeling at the highest. And a special fo- uh, police forces set up. I'm going to Israel very soon. We will also negotiating on specific trainers from Israel, police and military to come here, this special police unit will be set up to ensure that they deal with the hotspots. As I speak to you, there's a growing concern on dual use of military. We're trying to get, and we're eroding the functionality of military in what they're supposed to be. Uh, sometimes in the not-so-distant future, all military will be back in the barracks and we just get police to do police job. Feature-length documentary about the Rugby World Cup preparations of Pacific teams will be televised this weekend. Family, Faith, Footy, a Pacifica rugby story, features personal accounts of players from Samoa, Fiji and Tonga ahead of the Rugby World Cup, which kicks off next weekend. Fino Funua spoke to the film's producer, Adrian Stevenon. How did you come up with the idea, or who came up with the idea, to do this kind of documentary? The idea, I think in part, has been swirling around by many people wanting to tell this story, but it was one that was brought to us by a, by a sports journalist who was interested in making it, who, his name's Gregor Paul, he didn't have the, the television experience um, to bring this to life, and he also was quite clear that this needed to be told by Pacific people. And so from there, we got interest from TVNZ, New Zealand On Air has supported it, and um, seven months later... This is what we have, a documentary that's been shot in six different countries, talking to you know, many of the players that mean a lot or, or have done a lot in New Zealand, and, and now they're doing great things in the islands, which is amazing. And they've also made their mark in, in Europe. And what is this documentary about? It's got lots of story threads, but at the heart of the story, it's about players, it's about family, and it's about love for our community. That's at the core of it. You know, um, Family Faith Footy, a uh, Pacifica rugby story, you know, it really is about celebrating our rugby players and our communities and our families. You know, it's a story about small islands with big dreams and the sacrifices that many, many, many have made to produce some of the world's greatest players. And, you know, we get to hear from the players themselves and the families themselves. It also sets the historical context in which many players were up against racial discrimination and, and, and things like that in the in the early 70s and, and 60s when Pacific people in New Zealand were trying to break through. It, it um, introduces a younger audience to the stories of and the, and the significance of players like Brian uh, Williams, Sir Brian Williams, Sir Michael Jones, it retells some of the story about the success of the 91 World Cup Manu Samoa team and, and what their success did to putting players on the world map. And it also tells that story of how Pacific players went from being a little bit of a little bit of a trickle in a few teams and now it's a flood around the world where Pacific players are the most in-demand players in the world. And who is interviewed, um, who's followed in this documentary? We talk to a lot of players. We've got a couple of central characters in, in Charles Piltau and Malakai Fiketoa, but we also, you know, we hear from Michael Alaalatoa, Pat Lamb, Bandiaki, Manu Tuilangi, Sam Tuitipo, Sir Michael Jones, you know, Laulif, Michael Jones, Tuifasasina, uh, Sir Brian Williams, 
Pelivoni Pola, uh, Miracle, Failangi, Setata Manivandu. We talked to all the coaches and we're inside all of the teams of uh, Manusa Moai, Kalitahi, and uh, the Fiji Water Flying Fijians. Um, so we've really tried to incorporate all of the Pacific views, get as many different types of stories, but they all really focus around family, faith, and, and, and footy. And what was something that, that was revealing to you when you heard these players speak? Um, well, what I'll say is I personally haven't seen rugby players speak like this, like they have in this documentary. I haven't seen um, rugby players make themselves as vulnerable and and emotional. Um, we often see rugby players in short sound bites after a game and or at a press conference, but, but to be with them in their homes as they tell their own stories uh, was something quite special. A lot of the boys get really emotional when they talk about their mothers, when they talk about their families, the sacrifice that their families have made for them, and now in turn, the weight of responsibility that they have to make the best of the opportunities um, that they've been provided. And we may have heard some of those stories, but seeing it with the emotion that is told by the players and the family themselves is, is really quite moving, and it's something special. That's Pacific Waves for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, till Fast 3-4.